Dudes Talk Sports, hosted by Will Thomas and Chad Tujak. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dudes Talk Sports. It's me, your daddy, Will Thomas. It's me, your daddy, Roberto. Daddy? Your solo host flying solo today. Chad uh, is off in Oktoberfest, so good for him, leaving me in Madison, Wisconsin all by myself. Boo to him. Uh, we're going to cover week four recap of the NFL season, uh, as long as go over Bellator 206, the good, the bad, and the fun, ugly fights. Uh, so let's start off. Jared Goff, who the, who the hell was that, man? I mean, it's going up against one of the top-ranked defenses in the Minnesota Vikings. I know it's hard to say that after the Bills thrashed them in Week 3. Uh, but, man, I think – there's nothing else to say. Just man, I think. That's literally all I can say. Jared Goff went off for 26 of 33, 465 yards, 5 TDs. And I know there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of humongous stats – thrown up around the past few weeks, especially in week four amongst QBs, cough, cough, uh, Mitchell Trubisky. We'll get to that later. Uh, but Jared Goff, there was something different, um, about the way he was playing, uh, in, in week four. Uh, it's not just moving off the point, moving off the ball, throwing on, uh, you know, throwing on the run. He, a lot of his, a lot of his spots were just product placement and it's like you can say that he was playing within a system and it's hard not to play well when you have Brandon Cooks running fly routes you have Cooper Cup grabbing everything under the sun as well as Robert Woods um, but man uh, there was quite a few throws that he was throwing just dimes absolute like almost impossible throws um, and especially on the run you know that's one of his big critiques coming out of uh, college was his accuracy on the run and his uh, his small hands that he had to kind of debunk by throwing Gatorade on the ball during his pro day which was kind of funny um, but man it's there was I haven't seen a game quite in a while where a QB played of that nature you know it, it's there was just one of those things that he couldn't do really any wrong and the last time I saw that it's going to sound like a Packer homerism to me or on my part but Rodgers in the NFC championship against the Atlanta Falcons uh the last Super Bowl year 2010 I think it was 2010 there was this this feeling that no matter what uh throughout the game Rodgers couldn't do any wrong. He couldn't be touched. He was he was just kind of like the golden child. He was unstoppable. I remember spinning out of uh, Abraham Sachs constantly, just throwing dimes on a rope either to uh, Greg Jennings or Jordy or Driver or Finley or whoever the hell we had at the time, the bevy of receivers uh, that we had. And Goff looked the same, man. It's like he's, he's rolling out to his right, throwing 45 yards down the field, hitting impossible end zone shots. Um, for for TDs and then you know he had a, he had a few gimmies. Don't get me wrong, he had Cooper Cup busted wide open for busted wide open, busted wide open for quite you know quite quite a long touchdown. But man, it, he just seemed absolutely unreal. So hats off to him. Uh, hats <laughs> put Vikings defense. Put your hats back on, man. Good lord, you get embarrassed by the Bills, um, and then. I wouldn't say they got embarrassed by by the the Rams because the Rams offense is what it is, man. And, and Kirk Cousins and the Vikes offense was hanging right in there. Uh, you know, just it was just one of those those dog fights that who was going to make the big mistake um, or who it, was, it wasn't that it was more who was going to make the big stop because uh, both defenses were just getting gashed and gashed and gashed. Uh, so they both played well, and then, you know, Rams came out on top. Uh, kind of moving forward, Patrick Mahomes against Denver. Look, Ma, left hand. Right-handed quarterback completing a big first down for a left hand, or with his left hand, uh, told Von Miller, "Hey, look, Von, left hand." Uh, th- there's not too much else to go back aside from the legend of Mahomes growing and the uh, the utterly disgusting uh, usage of 
trying to get Showtime's Mahomes to stick. It's just too much, man. Showtime Mahomes, it's just it's just not a good flowy nickname. Uh, I'd rather Mahomie Mahomes or uh, – yeah, that's pretty much all I got off the top of my head. But Showtime Mahomes, let it go. Announcers, just let it go. That's not going to stick. That's not going to sell shirts. Who knows? Maybe it will. Um, yeah, I mean, he let a big come from behind, uh, big come from behind match against uh, Denver. Denver, bat dad, uh, for all the South Park fans. Uh, man, the, the legend keeps growing, so good for him. Kind of going on. Mitchell Trubisky, did you, will you teach me to football? Who taught this dude to football, man? He goes from playing mediocre, um, average QB play um, to blowing up for six TDs against the Bucks. Now, I know you're going to say, hey, man, it's against the Bucks." I'm not discounting that, um, but I will say that he did have quite a few touchdowns that were just schemed wide open. I mean, he had one, a deep throw to a, a butt-naked wide open. Trey Burton, tight end, thank God, because he's on my fantasy team. I've been waiting for him to do something. Um, but Trey Burton... Had a huge touchdown wide open, uh, pretty much just caught it and then fell into the end zone. Uh, Tariq Cohen, finally, Nagy's using uh, Nagy's using Tariq Cohen in the way that a lot of people thought he was going to be used initially. Um, and just kind of just scheming him around, man. Getting the ball in his hands and getting space in front of him because that's where he's going to excel. Use him as a gadget, and that's where he's going to excel. Don't use him as an every-down runner. That's Jordan Howard. You, you use Tariq Cohen as that multi-tool player, and he's using him tremendously he had a big stat line too uh, but the one thing I was impressed with that yeah he did have some touchdowns schemed wide open for him that were just kind of no-brainers or um, where the the player would do most of the work the other player the receiver but he had I think touchdowns to five different players you know and, and he it wasn't just his main players I mean he had a touchdown to A-Rob he had a touchdown to Trey he had a touchdown to Cohen but he also had touchdowns to like Taylor Gabriel type players and it was just he, he looked the part he finally looked the part um because before I, I mean i i'm apprehensive on saying mediocre i apologize for that but he was playing you know pedestrian football he, he looked great at times and he looked not great at times which is normal for a second year qb who's only started for two years you know one in college and one in the pros and so i mean he, he really looked the part and that's really encouraging for bears fans not encouraging for us packers fans but man if, if he can click I really think that the new um, the new football GM method of surrounding your rookie QB with all the talent in the world and just banking big that they hit hard because right now Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky are looking the part. Goff is, is yeah, he's proving that last year was not a fluke. Uh, Trubisky is really opening eyes right now. So I'm, I'm excited to see once he starts facing more formidable defenses how uh, the deer in the headlight look, if it will go away or if it will come back. Um Earl Thomas broke his leg. Man, it sucks for him, especially with the uh, the complications he was having with the Seahawks and the Seahawks front office. Um, gave a nice little kind gesture, a one-finger salute to the Seahawks bench. And a lot of Seahawks players came out and supported him, saying, hey, man, we get his frustration, we get it. And I, man, I'm on the fence with this one. I, I 100% support the players in the aspect of wanting to be taken care of. Earl Thomas is a vested veteran. He's given nothing, absolutely nothing, but his entire life and soul, just mental and physical ability to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I get that the other side of the fence, he signed a contract and he has to honor that, and I understand that. But 
man, at some point you have to take care of your player. You know, it's like having a really phenomenal employee and yeah, you gave them a raise five years ago, but they keep knocking out of the park and proving in and year in, year out as the linchpin to your team. You, man, you have to take care of them. You have to set them up for the long run. Um, and it's just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I get it from a business standpoint, but from the other standpoint, it's just from a, from a humanity standpoint, take care of your players. Um, and so he exits the field with an air cast around his leg, uh, just later released by Pete Carroll that he did in fact have a lower or a fracture to his lower leg. Tough to see, but man, it, that just, you know, kind of proves from a player standpoint, what him and bell are, are kind of, uh, what him and bell are kind of, not even kind of definitely encouraging. Uh, I, I agree more so with Earl Thomas's, uh, his, his way about it. Yeah. He's, he's going to voice his frustration saying, Hey man, play for me. But he's also taking in the fact that, yeah, I signed a contract, so I'll show up and play. I'll do what you're paying me to do, but I'm gonna let you know that I'm not happy. So I agree with his aspect more than Le'Veon's, but I still with Le'Veon, it's a different ball game. They've never given him a long term situation, um, or a contract. Keep throwing the uh, keep throwing the the franchise book at him and say, "Hey man, sign this one year. Hey man, sign this one year, and we're going to run you to death." And, and I I get that his you know his position and his workload is a lot more different than uh, than Earl Thomas's. So I I, I completely sympathize with Le'Veon too. Um, but I mean, I can't completely sympathize because I'm not a franchise running back. I'm a, a guy who owns his own multimedia business who couldn't crack the JV squad if I wanted to in my high school. But I, I, I sympathize with Le'Veon. I get he he's proudly being the bad guy as he said for for all the players, and I and I get I give it to him, man. It's like he, I get the other aspect. You sign a contract, you got to play. But in the same regards, you're working that dude to death. Give him something, man. It's like set him up for at least three years. I mean, Jesus. And I get he balked at another contract. I know it's it's a really weird situation, so I won't get too much into it because I'm not a player personnel manager. I'm not an agent. I'm not an NFL GM. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But from a human standpoint, I am a human, so good for me. I, I can speak on that in relative terms at least moving off of week four uh direct storylines we're going to kind of get into other storylines that surrounded um <coughs> the nfl des posting videos of him working out somebody tweeted that uh looks like des is ready to throw up the x again and des says he, he retweeted goes yep somebody asked him what that meant and he said hey man uh somebody asked him rather what it meant and then who he would like to join and he goes i'd prefer to rejoin the cowboys uh, but I'm, I'll be ready to play wherever, which is really surprising, uh, given the uh, the messy divorce when he was initially released, um, and all the speculation on where he was going, how he he definitely wanted to play for somebody uh, in the NFC East rather than you know anybody else, just so he could stick it to the Cowboys. And then uh, I think last weekend he posted a picture with him and Jerry Jones sitting in a you know club suite seats, uh, watching some concert which is weird. Um, and so I guess they're, they're mending fences. Who knows? I mean, that could be indicative of, of what's to come. Um, and I mean, there's really no better spot for Dez than Dallas. He already knows the playbook, like the back of his hand. He has reps, um, and he has familiarity with all the players around him. He knows his QB in and out. Um, that being said, there, there's going to be some weird air if he rejoins the, uh, rejoins the Cowboys and he, he better address it, um, with the other players just because, he, I mean, not only did other players throw him under the bus, I'm not just taking the other players' sides, but Des threw him equally under the bus. 
So it was like they're saying, hey, Dez was this, Dez was that. He was a prima donna, and Dez didn't do him any favors of saying, oh, cool, you're going to throw me into the bus? I'm going to hug you and let the bus run over both of us, which, is which you know, rightfully so. As, as a human myself, I would do the almost the same damn thing. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know other places. I mean, obviously – there's other places that fit him well with opportunities and young QBs. Uh, I mean, you have plays. I mean, you have you have teams like the Browns, which have already been spoken at nauseum as a huge landing spot. He went there for a visit. They offered him a contract, apparently. Um, but he also, uh, or they, they were also apprehensive on. They didn't know if he really wanted to play football. You know, the Ravens offered him a contract, and they're a big destination. I know John Brown's blowing up right now. You have Crabtree, the uh, incumbent. Number one wide receiver there. Actually, I think John Brown might be the number one right now. Um, but it's an, it's a good spot. They offered him a th- apparently a three-year deal. He balked at that early in the year just saying, hey, I'm going to wait for the right opportunity. Uh, I, I like this spot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on myself. <laughs> and he was looking to sign a one-year deal, which I think he's looking to sign a one-year deal like Alshon Jeffrey did uh, a year back. Bet on himself, have a big year, and parlay that into one more big, big contract, uh, which is a close to 30-year-old wide receiver. Man, that's, that's going to be tough to get. But that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mark Ingram rejoins the Saints after his four-game suspension. And I honestly think it couldn't be at a better time. Uh, the Saints are 3-1. and one. <laughs> It could be 2-2, two and two, but they came back from behind, won a few games. Um, but I think, man, Kamara right now is playing like a, his hair is on fire. But I don't know if he could sustain that health-wise. You know, I think he's being utilized in every single fashion. He's not just ripping off, you know, he – he has more receiving yards than rushing yards, yes, but he's not just ripping off big catches for for touchdowns. He's he's ripping off humongous gains off the ground just running the ball, uh, which is cool, um, especially for fantasy owners because he's just being absolutely nuclear right now. But I think Ingram comes in now at the perfect time to kind of spell Kamara's usage um, and, and save him for the long haul. That way you can really ramp up the uh, the total touches come playoffs. Give him this nice little break. It's already three and one. Um, still utilize him like you did last year with Ingram, but Ingram can now take um, the brunt of the you know first down, second down carries, um, or, or in the middle of the game when you're just trying to really push the sticks or move the sticks, you know, push that pile on, get everything that you want, um, and then bring him in when you need to make that that other difference. Uh, I think Ingram's a great running back. He's a definite first and second down back, but he can all he's proven the past few years he can he can tote that thing on the third down. He can catch out of the backfield. He can do whatever you want. Um, so I think Ingram comes into the perfect situation uh, along with the Saints being in the perfect perfect situation to, to accept him back um, to spell the usage of Kamara save him fresh for, for later in the year as they prove to be right now you know between them and the Panthers they're the bell of the NFC, or NFC South so that's going to be an awesome situation to watch unfold, especially because I drafted Mark Ingram in every single one of my leagues around like the seventh round so hopefully that pays off big I'm counting on you buddy uh <laughs> My favorite, oh, my favorite storyline. Um, Isaiah Crowell find 13k for uh, a celebration where he acted like he was wiping his butt with the football and then gave it to a fan, which was absolutely hilarious. And then, uh, he, I mean, it's completely uh, pun intended, poo pooed on by the NFL analysts. Oh, that's disrespectful. I thought it was hilarious. But then the the kicker is he lands a sponsor out of it uh, by Dude Wipes, uh, a, a a company. Uh, which I would gladly be sponsored by Dude Wipes, by Dudes Talk Sports, um, a company that just single baby wipes for when you have to go, you, when you, when you got to go, you got to go, and you don't want to use the public restroom toilet paper, or you just want to use that and then you know give that nice little dab at the end, no residue, no poo-poo residue. Uh, 
he lands a sponsor, man. It's called manifesting your own destiny. Yeah, he might it might have been crapped on pun pun. God, I'm I'm on fire day with puns. You uh, might have been crapped on by the analysts and the fans and all the old fogies that said that's disrespectful. But he literally just manifested money off a celebration of him wiping his butt on national TV. How awesome is that? So good for you, Isaiah Crowell. You might be you might be crapping on your fantasy owners right now, but man, you are betting on yourself and you are winning at life. So hats off to you, good sir. <laughs> that includes or concludes my week four recap of the NFL season. Let's move on to Bellator 206 recap, some fight talk. Uh, I'm just going to go through a few of the main event fights. Um, I won't keep this relatively brief, but I won't go into uh, full will brain mode where I'm just analyzing every every goddamn strike. Um, going through the main card, I'm going to touch on a few fights. Aaron Pico versus Leandro Higo. Whew, man, he uh, to say that was a KO would be putting it mildly. Um, Aaron Pico came in to MMA with the legend of John Henry's hammer. Um, I think it was an Olympic alternate. Um, an Olympic alternate in wrestling. Uh, I think he was a, I, I know he was a golden gloves boxing champ, multiple time amateur champion, multiple things. Uh, that, I mean, he came in as the blue chip prospect. The last blue chip prospect was, uh, I think Bubba Watson. I think it was his name. Uh, a, a wrestler, um, coming, I mean, all American wrestler. Aaron Pico comes in with the same thing, but with the striking credentials. Pico came in, John Henry's hammer legend, all that stuff. Gets gets blown out his first fight within like I don't know like thirty seconds. Uh, I don't agree with his matchup the first fight, but this is not to talk about his first matchup. This is to talk about his I think now fifth matchup in Bellator, his fourth. Um, his last fights have been all been starches, man. He, he's just absolutely mowing people down with his boxing, utilizing his wrestling in reverse fashion, a la like almost Chuck Liddell style, um, where Chuck Liddell was a collegiate wrestler, man, and, and he he didn't use that to in its offensive standpoint. He used that as defensive to say, hey, no, I'm going to keep this on the feet because as, as great as my wrestling skills are, I have a nuclear right hand. And Aaron Pico has nuclear both hands and nuclear technique to go along with it. And he's been killing dudes with body shots and right hooks and left hooks. And and this was no different. Uh, in the first round, Leandro Higo, he had him near the fence, had him wobbled, and then he just hit him with the right hand of all right hands, puts him down, pounds him out. Aaron Pico continues his legacy uh, and, and continues to prove that his first fight as a loss is, uh, man, it couldn't have come at a better time. I understand it was unfortunate. It happening in Madison Square on national TV, all that stuff, uh, especially coming in with the hype that he had. They gave him a, journey, a journeyman fighter who, who put him away, um, and it's much better, I guess, to lose your first one to, to just get rid of all that stress right then and there. Um, then, then just constant, you know, being a, a Khabib Nurmagomedov position where you're close to 27 and 0 and is this the time you're going to lose? Uh, but then again, who knows, maybe it'll be reversed. You know, when George, George St. Pierre was very vocal about after he got knocked out by, uh, by, uh, Matt Sarah, after being on his unstoppable tear, when he got knocked out by Matt Sarah, he said that was so embarrassing after that point, there was no more, or there was more pressure than ever, never to let that happen again. That's why he went from, George Rush St. Pierre, who was just, you know, murdering guys like Matt Hughes uh, and, and John Fitch to more calculated, more robotic, more formula, formulaic, I don't even know that's a word, um, version of George St. Pierre where he was just taking dudes out or taking dudes down, riding them, really controlling the pace, knowing how he was going to win the fight and executing that game plan. And it was less exciting, yes, but he, he became a machine. Um, so it'll be right now. Aaron Pico doesn't look like that. Aaron Pico looks like he got stopped his first fight. And then his last few fights, he is just lighting people up. Um, going on Douglas Lima versus Andre Koroshkov. 
submitted him rear naked choke in round five. That was a grueling fight, but it was a, I was so excited uh, coming into this fight because Douglas Lima, world beater, uh, obviously four-ter- or former, I think, welterweight champ for Bellator. Um, Andre Korshkov, a guy that beat Benson Henderson, uh, lost his – he was a welterweight champ too, lost his uh, title recently, but – he he beat, you know he he beat Ben or Benson Henderson after Benson Henderson left the UFC. Uh, so he proved he's not a slouch, man. Benson Henderson, beater of guys like you know uh, I don't know Anthony, uh, what's his name? What the hell? Anthony Pettis. I was trying to turn that into a joke and then I actually ended up forgetting the name. Brain fart. Anthony Pettis. I mean that guy is a the guy. And Andre Korshkov beat him easily. I mean, he, he wobbled him a bunch of times. So this fight coming into it, it was, it's like great striker versus great striker. And I, I was really looking forward to it. And, and it, it lived up to the billing. A lot of kicks, a lot of punches, a lot of technique, not just any just throwing haymakers or anything like that. It was definitely a refined martial artist fan fight. It wasn't a slobber knocker like the next fight I'm about to go over, Rampage Jackson versus Vanderlei Silva. Uh, but towards the end, they got winded. Douglas Lima... Catches him, uh, Korakov goes or Kor, Korishkov goes down. Lima slaps on uh, after a good bit of positioning. The rear naked choke and Andre goes out like a man, goes limp, uh, and, and Lima wins. Uh, can, I think that was part of the welterweight tourney um, going along, uh, which we'll get to later, which might be a, a weird little wrinkle. Um, Rampage Jackson defeats Vanderlei Silva via second round TKO. Man, this was a fun fight. And the fact that, uh, you know, how Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz 3 is going to be a fun fight, except this was uh, this was just <laughs> – it was uh, taking place at heavyweight. Um, I think Rampage came in at 250. I think it was at heavyweight. I could be wrong. Uh, I think I saw a stat line <laughs> with the weigh-ins. Rampage came in at 250, which Rampage holds 250 well. I know he's usually a bigger guy, a humongous light heavyweight. Uh, but Rampage was looking to throw bombs. And Vonderlei, man, Vonderlei just – there's not too much to say. Just Vonderlei, just dot dot dot, and that's literally could be the caption for my uh, my ana- analysis of the fight. There were bursts of Vonderlei where you go, "Oh, it's the axe murder!" The old shoot the box right left haymaker windmill, you know, blitzkrieg type throws that him and Vitor used to throw. Uh, I know Vitor came when he would throw his uh, his his blitzkrieg was more straight left, straight right, straight straight left, straight right, whereas Vonderlei. Just throws haymaker and just goes left hook, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, and just all these meat hooks. Rampage Jackson, very tentative, stalked him for the most part, would throw a right hand, and there would be occasional bursts where it would look like old pride days where they would start winging left hook, right hook, left hook, right hook. And in the second round, Rampage just dings him. Vondelay goes down, and then uh, Rampage finishes off, finishes him off, uh, does his patented woof howl in the middle of the ring and then uh they, they give some weird hug interaction and then Vonderlei and his best english goes two and two i uh you we are now two and two that was almost russian that was weird not brazilian but he tells him two and two rampage laughs it off it's like yeah yeah, yeah we'll go for a fifth one i don't want to see that but i mean i partially do want to see it just because it's it's a tiebreaker you got you want to kind of want to watch that it's just a fun fight if they if, if the rest of their matches before retirement are just rampage jacks versus Vondelay silva i'd watch it i know i say it was a not a fun fight to really watch but it's it's i mean they're just you know what's going to happen it's always going to be a knockout it's always been a knockout uh either Vandalay or Vandalay teeing up rampage and him falling through the ropes after you know getting bludgeoned with knees and right hooks or rampage stopping him each time with a right hand 
Uh, the most brutal was either Rampage falling through the ropes after getting hurt with uh, Vondelay's hands and then kneed up against it, falling through the ropes in Pride Days, or when the Rampage just shut the lights out with a right hook uh, against Vondelay in the UFC. So that was fun. Uh, moving on to our main event, I know I talked briefly about the welterweight tourney and how Lima beating Korshkov uh, to advance Lima in the welterweight tourney. This could this this fight kind of uh, threw a wrinkle in that. It was the 185er Gegard Mousasi versus the welterweight Roy McDonald moving up t- to uh, try and become the uh, another champ champ, get that, that second belt since that's the thing to do nowadays. Roy moves up and Gegard said, hey man, I know a lot of people have been having success with this, but I'm going to remind you how hard this is. Gegard demolished him. Second round TKO, uh, re-injured Rory McDonald's nose. I know Rory McDonald took a year off um, to really you know, heal up that thing just because after the Robbie Lawler fights, that thing was just powder, man. It's like you hit him once with a you – know, if you sneeze on him, his nose would start bleeding. And so Gegard just, you know, it, it was a fun fight for that first round because it was very technical, very tentative. They were feeling each other out. And then Gegard started landing and landing and landing. Uh, his jab was always there. Uh, which was weird. I, th- I figured Rory would be very m- much more protective of his nose. He wasn't. Gegard hits him. Rory goes down um, in the second round, and then you know Gegard just put it on him. He just put it on him, and Rory was you know fainted out. And so I say it was a great win for Gegard because he retains his title. And as of the other recent champs, like uh, <laughs> uh, most notably Stipe or um, what's his name, the guy who lost the belt to Connor. Um, I'll move it later. Philly, Philly underground guy. Um, he became one of the champs that fought a guy moving up to his weight class and didn't lose the belt. So he he, he said, "Hey man, it's not that easy." And Gegard is, you know, one of the best 185ers, if not one of the best fighters in the world. Especially his resume kind of speaks for himself. I know he got blasted by Uriah Hall with a spinning back kick. That's a, a hail mary shot. That's nothing to put away. Uriah Hall's skill set and saying he got he lucked out, um, but it was a hail mary shot, man. And Uriah Hall executed it perfectly. But Gegard, that was his last really big loss, and, and since then Gegard, um, he's just been putting it together. Looks phenomenal as a 185 pound champ. Uh, but again, I say the <laughs> the wrinkle that was put in the welterweight champ uh, tournament because Rory entered that tournament as the champion. TKO, it's going to be interesting to see how his medical suspension is, if he lands one, if it is. I mean, he's going to land one because he was TKO'd. Um, if, you know, not only the medical suspension regarding that, but did he really re-injure his nose that badly? Because it was one of those things that he kept getting peppered with, and all of a sudden it was just, it looked like uh, when when uh, Rory was facing, uh, what's his name? Ah, I can't remember any names today. Uh, when he was facing uh, Bald Dude Welterweight, I'll remember his name later, uh, and, and the guy, uh, he just, it was one of those five round wars um, that they had. I think they had two of them, um, and, and finally Rory was TKO'd in one of them. Um, but he get he got hit in the nose in the towards, or towards one of the latter rounds, and he just goes down. Robbie Lawler, that's it. He goes he goes down, um, and he just couldn't bear it anymore. And that's what it looked like against Gegard in the second round. He finally gets popped again, and he just kind of yeah he got wobbled, but. It was more so that when it got to the ground, that's where the the, the real finish happened because he wasn't wobbling and take like and went down. You know, he was on the ground and and then Gegard just put him out. He started putting pressure on him and started hitting him in his nose more and more repeatedly and repeatedly. And there just came a point where, you know, Roy just kind of turtled up, rolled over, and and that was that. Um, so that was a really fun fight to watch. But I'm I'm very very interested to see how um, how that that really plays out. Um, 
regarding the welterweight tourney, if he, he still remains in it as the champ, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if the medical suspension looms. I don't know if, you know, if, if his, his nose is shot to shit. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So there might be, uh, the, the welterweight tourney might proceed for an interim belt. I think that might be the smart way to play it. Um, as opposed to just going and strip him of the belt just cause he can't fight anymore. If he can't fight anymore in the tourney. Um, and if not, maybe they just prolong his, uh, his his entry fight into the tournament as uh you know much later down the road um but uh oh eddie alvarez that was i was trying to think of conor mcgregor my brain's all over the place today folks i'm sorry my second red bull so i'm kind of flying high right now um yeah that concludes my bellator 206 talk my nfl week four talk uh we have some closing announcements. We are on every single social media aspect. Uh, I don't want to say social media aspect. Every social media medium, you know, device, whatever. Um, we are at Dudes Talk Sports on Twitter. That is at Dudes Talk Sports uh, on Instagram at Dudes underscore Talk Sports. You can find our website at www.dudes-talk-sports.com. Thanks for that, Chad, for booking that domain. Uh I also have some uh, some few side items that I like to do. Uh, I have a show called Packer Select at Packer Select on all of uh, all these social media mediums and devices and blah blah blah. Um, pretty much where I just kind of discuss the Green Bay Packers, their state of uh, state of affairs, upcoming draft prospects, as well as uh, previous draft analysis from not just the Packers but a lot of other teams. Uh, also, my URL www.packerselect.com will bring you to our YouTube channel. Go subscribe, share, do all that stuff. This concludes our episode 12 of Dudes Talk Sports. See ya!